Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message.
rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just a doorway into resurrection life And if I join you in your suffering Then I'll join you when you rise And when you return in glory With all the angels and the saints My heart will still be Transformation, and I'll be crucified with you. 
Cause death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your sufferings, then I join. so excited to be in the house of the Lord. And you know, today is Resurrection Sunday, right? And uh, definitely should not be the only time that we celebrate resurrection, uh, that Jesus died on the cross, but was raised in our lives and raises in our lives every day. And so today, uh, I want to share something with you that uh, the Lord put on my heart. Uh, And, you know, when we talk about Holy Week, and these seven days that started uh, last Sunday, leading up into today, it's a seven-day period of the Christian calendar where we recall the events that led up to Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting. Now, I love Easter. I love all of the festivities that we enjoy family in town, that's like, to me, that's like one of the best things, right? You know, the family atmosphere, the food, don't forget the food, you know, got to have some good food. We love the food. My wife is an amazing cook, and uh, we're going to enjoy some great stuff that she has prepared today. Sorry, you're not all invited. Um. You know, this season should not be the only season that we remember 
what Jesus did for us. It is a, you know, a reason for it, right? We, we focus on it today because the whole world is focused on Easter. But it's not the only time. Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, the glory of heaven, right? And he came down to earth, and he had a mission. He came, and he suffered. He became a man. First of all, he left the glory of heaven. He became a man, and he was crucified. He died on a cross. But then there is something great that happened on that day. Jesus did not stay in the cross. The wonder of the fact that we love God and we serve God the way that we do is because Jesus did not stay in the tomb. He was raised from the dead. And that is something that is unique to Christianity, right? In every other religion on the planet, the founder of that religion was born on the earth like Jesus was, lived a good life, but then died. Jesus instead was raised from the dead. And the fact that he was gives us a hope that is indescribable. It's something that is unique to who we are as believers. And so why did he do all of that? He did that because he loves us so much. And I want to show you a text today from Matthew chapter 27, verses 54 to 57. Sorry, 45 to, to 54. My bad. And um, this is a very unique text in Matthew. And I'm going to try to break it down as we go. And then I'm going to highlight a couple of things from that that are very, very interesting to me. But Matthew writes that from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And I'll try to do my, put my best uh, Hebrew in the, or, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Now, immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on, on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, let me, let me just stop there for a moment, right? Because there's something very unique that happens in that verse. When we're talking about Jesus uh, being offered wine, the soldiers actually offered Jesus wine three times during the course of of the crucifixion into uh, being actually crucified. First time, um, they offered it to him prior to the resurrection. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 34 that it says that they offered him wine with gall, or Mark calls it myrrh. And it, you know that myrrh was something that was used in the old days to embalm bodies. And actually, what they were offering Jesus was a drink that would ease the pain so that he would be drugged out, basically. And that's what they would offer to men that were being crucified on that day. They would give them a drink of wine that contained myrrh or gall, myrrh and gall, that was, again, that, that 
uh, particular element to numb the pain. Jesus refused that wine. As soon as he put it on his lips, he said, no. Why did he do that? Because he had to go through the suffering and the pain that he endured for us. Let me go a little further. The second time the soldiers offered wine to Jesus was a mocking time. In Luke chapter 23, we read that the the, the soldiers were mocking at Jesus. They were saying, oh, well, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And so they, they gave him some more of that wine. Jesus did not take that. The third time, Jesus asked for something to drink. And a lot of, of Bible interpreters and scholars believe that it was important because one of the symptoms of being on a cross in the middle of the day, noontime in Israel, where it's very, very hot, was incredibly in extreme dehydration. And Jesus had to utter some very important words on that day, didn't he? What were those words? It is finished. In order for him to say that, his lips were so parched, his throat was so dry from that intense dehydration that he needed to have something. And so what they offered Jesus on that, at that moment was wine vinegar, it's described, which was basically the wine that the soldiers would bring with them was a cheap wine that they would carry with them. And they probably had some at the cross because they were there for multiple hours. It was their drink of choice. It was a, I don't know, uh, Walmart $3.99 bottle of wine. <laughs> And so they offered Jesus this wine that was fermented to the point of being tasting like vinegar because Jesus had to utter those words. And so in verse 49, it continued, the rest of the people said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, and that is what he uttered. That's what he said. It is finished. He gave up his spirit. At that moment, look at that. At that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. That is a very dramatic event that took place at that moment. It doesn't stop there. Listen to this. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Now, I'm not talking about a new episode of The Walking Dead here. Although it must have scared the whatever out of a lot of people. Think about it for a moment. There were dead people. Dead saints, people that were known perhaps at that moment, walking alive in the city. Why did that happen? Like I said, it's not an episode of some freak show. This is the life of God. Jesus went into the grave, took the keys 
of death and Hades, and he declared victory on that day. And you know what? That whole atmosphere just impregnated everywhere around where Jesus was so that even the dead came to life. That is powerful. Even the dead. And when the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, they saw the earthquake. They didn't just feel it. And all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. Why does it have to take for us extreme situations for us to acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God? Why do we have to go through trials and problems for us to cry out to God and say, oh, I need God in my life? Why? But we do that all the time, don't we? We do. Now, the emphasis of my message today is on one verse, verse 51. And it says that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, the curtain that was torn in two the day that Jesus died was not your typical curtain. I know that we often think, oh, the curtain is like a shower curtain. Like what are you talking about? A living room curtain, a pretty curtain with frills and all kinds of decorations on it. No, not quite. Now, the veil of the temple, the curtain, is best described in Exodus chapter 26. And I want to give you a little bit of an understanding of what we're talking about here. Because if not, we kind of figure that it's a curtain like a regular little curtain, right? It was made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. The finest of quality. It was twisted together with fine linen. And cherubims were actually... Uh, uh, woven into the fabric by very skilled craftsmen. It was hung before the Holy of Holies in the old tabernacle, as it's described in, the, in Exodus 26. It was held by gold hooks that were built on a structure of very expensive acacia wood that was actually dipped in gold. So we're talking about a picture of perfection here, guys. We're not talking about plastic, you know, curtain rings. We're talking about something beautiful to look at. The purpose of the curtain or the veil <clears throat> was to separate the place where the atonement and the animal sacrifices were made. Let me explain that a little bit. It was meant to separate how God said the clean from the unclean. It was a place where only the high priest would go once a year on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement to burn incense. And then he would take the, the, the animal blood that had been sacrificed and he would sprinkle it in order to atone not only for the sins of the people but also for his own sins because it had to be a perfect place, a place of perfection. This was a very strict order. For the priests to follow. And if you did not respect that order, it could actually mean death because the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies had to have a rope tied around his ankle in the event that God did not accept the offer and he would be stricken dead. They would actually pull him out 
with the rope. The separation also highlighted the fact that the nature of the way that the Israelites had to worship God was very unique. It was not anything like what we know today. God was holy. No unholy thing or people or processes could actually be allowed into the presence of the Holy of Holies. It had to be perfectly pure and holy. I'm so thankful, guys, that today we don't have to do that. Can you imagine if we had to respect this kind of regime? We would all be dead right now. Because we could not approach a holy God the way that He calls us to. And the way that we desire to. Because we love the Lord. We love God. We want to come into His presence. But in order to go into the presence of God at that time, it needed to be spotless and pure. Or a sacrifice had to be offered. An animal sacrifice. It's important to note that this was not like a bride's kind of veil, the see-through veil. Some say that the veil was actually 18 to 24 inches thick. Now, I personally think that it was more like, others say, 4 to 5 inches thick, the, the span of a hand, the width of a hand. I think that is more so what a lot of the scholars believe. But even so, I mean, like 5 to 6 inches thick. Or if it were even 18 to 24, we're talking about something remarkable that happened on that day. I'm trying to get to paint a picture around what took place, that it was not a trivial verse, verse 51 that we read about. And so you say, this is all great, but what are we learning from this? Well, first of all, let me say this. Access to God as being granted for each and every one of us. Aren't you glad? You can put your hands together and say, thank you, Jesus, for that. Right? We have actual access granted to God. Think of it as an access card into the presence of God. You know, when you go into your office, you scan your card, especially secure areas. You know, where I worked for a company back in the day, I could not even take a picture in front of the into the sign and, and the, the scan area. They wouldn't allow us to do that. But you know what? We have access today. And it is kind of like our access card into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 14. Let me read a couple of verses. Hebrews 4, 4 and verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. And we will find grace to help us in the times when we need it most. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great that you don't actually have to like be on your own? You don't have to walk this life on your own. You don't have to go through your struggles, through your circumstances, through your difficulties, through whatever you're going through by yourself alone. You have a God that is basically saying, please come into my presence. He is beckoning us. He is calling us. He is saying, you have free access. Now is the time to come. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 also says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter 
heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Wow. Boldly. We don't have to go like, you know what, our tendency is like, God, I'm so sorry. God, please forgive me. And we kind of like have this attitude that, that is almost, we're looking for God's pity and, 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 and you know, trying to like, oh, I'm so sorry, God. We can actually go boldly. That means that, that we can enter God's presence and talk to God like we would talk to anybody. Right? We can talk to him and tell him, God, you know what? I'm struggling today. I'm having a hard time. God, I'm, I'm struggling with forgiving that person that hurt me. God, I'm just really, really upset today because my husband or my wife or my children are driving me up the wall and I just want to help me so that I won't kill them today. But, you know, God actually honors honesty and sincerity. He does. More than we realize it, more than we actually think of it. But he loves it when we go boldly before his holy place. Now, all of this was made possible because the veil was torn and access was allowed into his presence. You know, <clears throat> you say, why did that have to happen? Why did Jesus have to go? Do you believe that God, that there's absolutely nothing in God that is by happen chance? Yeah, I believe that. Do you know that this had been designed before the foundation of the earth? Jesus had to go because he had to send someone to help us. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to send you the helper. How many of you guys know that you need a helper that can be present with you 24-7? That is the Holy Spirit. He can be our guide. He can be our help. He, the Bible says, will lead us into all truth. He, that is the Holy Spirit's job. And sometimes we kind of like remove the Holy Spirit out of the picture. We remove Father because it's like an Old Testament concept. And we just focus Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm not saying that it's wrong saying Jesus, Jesus only. I'm telling you that there is a balance. We serve a Heavenly Father who loves us so much. We serve a Jesus who has been where we have walked. He has like gone through the same rhythm of life that we go through. And then there's a Holy Spirit that wants to be our companion. He wants to walk where we walk. He wants to guide us and lead us and speak to us. That is why he had to go. It's an undeserved privilege. It's an honor that we could never repay to enter God's presence, speak with Him, have confidence and boldness that we can talk to Him at any time, not just once a year like the priest had to do, but every day, every moment, the veil has been torn. We can go in. We are honored, beyond honored. Yet there's something that happens to us. Through all of this wonder and beauty of the presence of God. It, this, this incredible privilege and honor that we have that we can enter God's presence. We do one or two things. Number one, we either abuse the privilege and we take it for granted. It's like, oh yeah, God is there. 
I can go whatever I want. I can go live my life and do my stuff. And then, you know, when I'm okay, I'll just go back to God. Have you been there? I have. I've done that. I'm like, God is always there. I'm just going to have a little life fun, you know. It's like, let me live my life a little bit, God. I mean, after all, you understand, don't you? I'm just going to have a little fun. And then when I got time, I'm going to come back to God. And I'm just going to talk to God, you know, because, hey, that's how God is. He's always welcoming, isn't he? And he is. But we at times can actually abuse the grace of God in our lives. So I'm asking you today, think about it. Where are you in your life with God? More than that, there's a second thing that can happen. If we don't abuse it, we can actually do the very thing that Jesus did on the cross through his death. When the veil was torn, we actually take out needle and thread and we start re-threading the veil and we start closing it up again. Oh, you say, what are you talking about? Well, one of the issues I think that that is common to our humanity, to us as humans, is allowing ourselves to fall back into those areas of struggle that God has already forgiven us for and given us freedom for. In Psalm 103 and verse 12, <clears throat> the psalmist reminds us that he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. So that just basically is telling us that God has completely removed our sin. He has forgotten it. He has not just forgiven us for it. He's completely forgotten it. It's not even in his books. You know, it, I think it was Martin Luther that said that when the enemy, when the devil reminds you of your past, you reminds him, remind him of his future. Because you know what? We don't have a past. In God's agenda, our past has completely been erased. It's not there anymore. So whatever you are thinking of that you lived your life in the past, and I'll, that's gone. It's gone. It's not in Jesus' books anymore. Jesus has completed the work on the cross, forgiven us, and yet we revert back to areas that we've already been forgiven. So, so we put up some veils, right? You say, what veils do we put up? Let me share with you quickly three veils that we put up. Number one is the veil of, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. I just, I, 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 I don't deserve all of this love, all of this grace. Some of us have actually believed this lie, that we are not worthy of God's love, that we are not good enough. You know, I want to tell you this, that if you believe that you are not good enough, Guess what? You are right. You are not good enough. You were not good enough. And you will never be good enough for God's love. Yeah. That's why Jesus had to come. A price had to be paid to satisfy the justice of God. A lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus took your place, and he took my place. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, it says this, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves 
to claim anything is coming from God. But our sufficiency is from God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. If you think that you can stand before God and say, oh, well, God, look at all the accomplishments that I have made, and I have done X, Y, and Z of, you know, I serve the poor, and I give my alms, and, and I do all of these wonderful things. And that would be your honor and privilege to stand before God and say, I deserve to be there. Think again. And that's not me saying that. It's the Bible saying it. Because our sufficiency has nothing to do with what we can accomplish. Our sufficiency is from God. You are not, you are not who, uh, what you did. You are not what you have done in the past. You are not what you are doing right now. You are not who you think you are. And you are not what others think you are. That is, let's take that out of the, out of the way right now and make sure that we understand that none of those ideas are who you are. And I heard it this way. God did not send Jesus to make bad people good. You know why God sent Jesus? He sent Jesus to make dead people alive. Because you know what? If, if the point was to make bad people good, then we could just do it on our own, couldn't we? We could be good. But He did not just come to make us good. He made us come alive in Him. If our relationship with Jesus is not based on the fact that He came to make us alive in Him, then we are not walking in sync with what the Word of God says. Now, if your relationship and my relationship with Jesus is meaningless and we have no time for God, we don't really care, and we would rather just serve him on our terms, then we need to reassess our position today. He desires for us to be alive in him. So will you do me a favor? If you have believed a lie that you're not good enough and you don't deserve his love and you have put up that veil before God, thick veil before God, before you and him, then get rid of that veil today. Because you know what? You will never deserve his love, never on your own terms and by your own doing. You will only deserve it because it's grace. It's unmerited favor of God. <clears throat> What's the second veil that we put up? The second veil we put up that I want to share with you is a veil of guilt and shame. Now, usually guilt and shame come as a package deal. And they usually show up when we fall or fall back into a sinful pattern or behavior. <clears throat> the things that we do oftentimes can either bring us to God or separate us from God. It could be anything. I mean, you name it. It could be, it could be drugs. It could be pornography. 
It could be excessive partying and drinking. It could be illicit relationships. It could be bitterness. It could be unforgiveness. The list goes on and on and on. Whatever it is, and whatever it might be, there is absolutely no sin that is too big that God cannot forgive you for. And the issue oftentimes is not God. The issue is us. There's nothing that God would not forgive us from. But it starts at the point of confession and it starts at the point of repentance. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us from all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is wrong living toward God. And so if we approach God and we say in honesty and sincerity, here's where I'm at, God. I'm not living right. I'm not doing the things that I should be doing. I should be serving you. I should be loving you. I should be reading your word. I should be at least spending some time in conversation with you. I'm so sorry, God. Will you please forgive me? God will honor that prayer. He will. He will. And he has done that so many times for many of us. It starts with confession and repentance. He desires to see us free more than we desire ourselves to be free. And that's a fact you can sleep on. Guilt and shame put up a veil. It's a separation toward God. Because we realize of our own, our own doing, what we have done, the things that we have done. And we feel guilty for not having gone closer to Jesus and not having spent more time with Him. And so that guilt overtakes us. And that is not the way we should operate. But here's the good news. Our Heavenly Father operates differently than we do. The veil of guilt and shame will only prevent us from receiving God's love And so we must be willing today to say, I don't want that anymore. I want to get rid of guilt and I want to get rid of shame. Friends, you know what the opposite of guilt and shame is? It's innocence and freedom. You're innocent. You have not been called guilty. If you were to stand in a court before our Heavenly Father, and one day we all will appear before the throne of God, you know what Jesus is going to say? Forgiven, washed by the blood of Jesus, to my right. There's a separation that will happen, right? Matthew chapter 25 talks about the sheep and the goats. There's a separation, the sheep to the right, the goats to the left. That is up to us. So, you know what? Are we talking about living a perfect life? Absolutely not. We're not advocating perfection. But the fact remains that He accepts you and I just as we are. So, get rid of that veil of guilt and shame. There's one more veil. It's the veil of self-pity and apathy. You see, the veil of 
thinking that you're not good enough and then feeling guilty and feeling shame about it will only cause us to either take steps toward God or put up this other veil of separation, of self-pity and apathy. Now, if you're in that state, we know. We know most of the times what we need to do. We know how we need to approach God. We know that we need to get before God and ask Him to forgive us. We know. We can't seem to put one foot in front of the other and move toward a father who is waiting for the prodigal son to come home. We're caught into this endless cycle of sin, guilt, shame, sin, guilt, shame, sin, guilt, shame. And all of that drives us away from God rather than toward God because that cycle causes us to want to be alienated and distant from God because how could I go to God? He's not going to want me. He doesn't like me right now. I don't like myself. Why would I even go to him? You see, spiritual apathy is the breeding ground of spiritual inactivity. Spiritual apathy is the breeding ground of spiritual inactivity. Self-pity only causes us to see ourselves through the wrong lens or lenses and not through the right lenses when it comes to God. Self-pity and apathy will only cause self-rejection and more separation from the presence of God and loving God the way that He desires to be loved and the way that He has opened heaven so that we might love Him that way. So today... Will you do me a favor? Ditch that veil. Ditch that veil. Don't try to sew back together what God has torn. Because that's not His intended, that's not His purpose and desire for us. So my prayer today is that you will realize these three veils are there only to block us from moving forward. And if you're struggling, if you're struggling, you don't have, <clears throat> uh, and perhaps you have your own version of whatever that veil is, whatever your reason for being distant from God is, you don't have to do that anymore. All God asks us for is to be humble, to humble ourselves. The Bible says that if we humble ourselves, He will lift us up. That's that simple. Friends, Jesus died a brutal, painful death on the cross. But the message of Easter is not that just He died, that He rose up again. And so because He rose again, we can actually have that that very life, that same life that He gave to us. We don't have to so these veils of separation before God. You know what? Another way to put it is sometimes we put up walls between us and God. And God wants to tear down those bricks one by one and we just mix the cement again. And we're just like grabbing those bricks and putting them on. Grabbing them and putting them back on. And we're building, 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 building. We keep on building these walls of separations between us and God. 
If God went through such an extreme by giving us Jesus who suffered, died, and rose again, will he not do whatever, do whatever he has to in order to bring us back into a place of peace with him? You don't have to live a life of struggle. You don't have to go through these feelings that you're not good enough, that God doesn't like you, God doesn't, couldn't stand you. Go through guilt and shame and apathy and separation from God. That is not what He desires for us. What God desires for us is that we accept His love because you know what? He delights in us so much. I want you to know today that if you have stopped serving God, if you have stopped loving God, Today can be the day when you can have a restart. You can press the button and reboot and start all over again because he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.